Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. We're here to talk about all things Highland dress, the cultures and the heritage that created it, and how to enjoy the kilt in the 21st century. From tartan and trues to haggis and history, we cover it all. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the show. All right, today, special treat. We are trying an Irish hard cider yep. and an American hard cider. Full disclosure, I have never had cider before. Drank apple juice, that's about the extent of it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even drink like the regular cider. The, I don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm, you can actually I'm weird, get, dude. You can get unpasteurized, unfiltered real apple cider in this state, so you're missing out. Well, I prefer awesome. my, my apple cider past my eyes. Not unpassed my eyes. Oh. Dad jokes. Yeah, that was that was about yes. as daddy as it gets. Before right, we yep. before we dig in, I want to give a special shout out to John Porter, a true watcher of the show, great guy. John, howdy. Good to see you. Howdy. Well, good for you to see us. We don't see you. Thanks for I, watching. I see a camera. Um, but good to know you're out there, bro. All right. Let's which one should we start with? Irish well, or American? Here, here's the thing. He is not a cider drinker. I am. So I am actually, I'm biased because I'm a Magners fan. Um, used to be a Strongbow fan, but then they changed the formula that they send over here and make, made it a lot sweeter. How dare they? Yeah, so I don't like Strong. I used to be a Strongbow person, but now I'm pretty much a Magners guy. So I don't mind starting with a Magners because it's known quantity for me. Okay. You know. Mac, Magners, Irish. You care? Hard cider. And this is the original Magners. Right. The OG, yes, indeed. All right. It smells like like old beer and apple juice. It smells like fermented apple juice. How strange. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, here goes nothing. Slancha. Mm. Um. Oh, we were stopping. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't have to stop. No, it's... As long as you can still comment with people, you can drink as much as you want, Mac. All right. Light, very, very, very metallic tasting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like top, back of the mouth, got that, like you've been on metal kind of. Got tang. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Is it supposed to be like dry? This, I would that... not. This is a, I'd call this maybe a medium sweet. Compared okay. to other ciders, they're like, uh, we have one around here, which I'm not sure anybody else can get. It's called Commonwealth. Uh, it's a local cider. You've had it, Mac. Um, that's super dry. It's like super, super duper dry. And this is not as dry as that. Okay. All right. Got a, got a taste for it. Mm -hmm. Well, I've, I've tasted it. I'll say that. Um, next, we are trying Angry Orchard. Hard cider. We're doing the crisp apple version. So? I'm going to cleanse my palate. Oh, yeah, good point. No, you don't have yeah. to. You have to make this fair. <clears throat> All right. Angry Orchard. A lot sweeter, right? A lot sweeter, yeah. Yep. It tastes like a honey, honey crisp apple. Um, but it's still got a little bit of the metallic-y mm -hmm. taste to it. But it's, yeah, honey crisp is it's where little, I'm going It's with. a little earthier. Okay. Okay. A little more of a... 
There's a little bit more of a bitter edge to it. And 5% alcohol versus 4.5. So Angry Orchard's got a half percent. Mm -hmm. Everything American is always sweeter. You ever notice that? I mean, this is it's totally true with, with this, too. Just your just your kilt show hosts. We're mm, just sweeter. Yeah. Terribly. No. I mean, I don't mind it. But uh, I mean, I haven't <clears throat> I haven't gotten a, a big name American cider like this in a long time. So, but yeah, I'll buy this again. All right, Mac, how you feeling about uh, Angry Orchard versus uh, Magners? I'd, uh, I'm going Magners well over Angry Orchard. I'm usually, I usually score like, one to one. Like my sweet, but mm, okay, uh, one to one. Meaning, like score for Magners, score for Angry Orchard. Oh, on, if we're going just what we have here in front of us? Yeah. Angry Orchard, like a one? <laughs> that bad, huh? Yeah, I, I, Damn. Okay. Um, okay. Magners, I can sit there and drink all day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So? So I'm going to go, go 9.8. Wow. That's practically off the charts, man. Yeah. Damn. Hmm. High marks from Mac. Yeah. Mr. Eric. Well, I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm biased already, so I kind of... <clears throat> I, I, drink this regularly as it is so yeah i'd give this a um i'll give it an 8.5 because okay. there's, there's there's one or two of the uh I, I wish i could still get old strongbow uh, that was by hands down my favorite cider but you can't get it anymore 8.5 um, and, and uh the angry orchard uh, i'm more pleasantly surprised than i thought i'd give it a 4.5 i wouldn't re you know if i needed one and there was nothing else at the store i would get this and it's, it's fine um, I could see mixing either of these with a stout, which is what I like to do. Um, but still all about the Magners for me. Okay. I, I'm i going to score this. I'm at a party. They don't have beer. So I have to drink something um, of these two. I would go Magners. 2.8. Not a fan. <laughs> Angry Orchard. I'd say... Four eight, it's I'm I definitely dig the sweeter a little bit more, mm -hmm. um, so this it's just a better tasting apple if I'm looking at it from apple qualities I don't know, um, so I would give it to Magners or to check that to Angry Orchard, but wait, there's more. I'm doing my my M Night Shyamalama Ding Dong moment, <laughs> but we have a twist. Dun dun dun. But wait, there's a glass here for me, too. Did Blake's Hard this... Cider Caramel Apple. <laughs> caramel Apple. I saw, when I was buying these at the store the other day, I was like, caramel, that's either going to be the worst thing I've ever put in my mouth or pretty good. So let's, this let's is try Bla this out. This is, this is based on P. Blake's celebrated five apple blend. Mm. From our backyard since 1946. And it says it's a little bit on the sweeter side of the, the spectrum. Well, caramel apple, I freaking wow. have to be. Now, now, Blake's apparently is a recognized player in cider world. Player. The, uh, there All are right. a lot of different flavors out there. Got our USA Kilts beer glasses, which are not holding as much as I thought they would. Um, oh, that's one thing we don't get with the with the bottles, is we don't get to see the color. That we're yeah, going, yeah, got yeah. going on. Yep. This is uh You can smell the caramel. It's pretty light. Ugh. Holy cow, you can. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is not good. It's, I shouldn't have poured that much. It smells like the uh the little the little caramel you get with the little cream in the inside. 
Yeah, I hate those. Oh, I okay. love those things. Okay. All right. I, I take it back. I don't mind them. Oh, for the grand, the ones vintage. you get at grandma's house? Yeah, yeah those, those things are awesome. With the, with the white sugar? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, they're good. Get out of here. <laughs> oh. You got about old people candy. <laughs> Maybe I should let it breathe. Oh, yeah, I should breathe. Ugh. That's... That's something. That is sweet. <laughs> that's... Oh, that's awful. Ugh. Ugh. That's horrible. Dude, even like as a... As a carnival sideshow oddity this is yeah i had high hopes because like i said it turns out they do a lot of different stuff so theoretically they know what they're doing but i'll be sticking with me magnus thank Ugh. you very much yeah, Ugh. It's, so... it's like you want to keep drinking it because you can't <laughs> get it out Ugh. now how are they going to taste with the mints oh good god i, I need the less <laughs> <laughs> the less, <laughs> less bad. Mark that time, Coraline. Yeah. <laughs> we need a 10 second delay for Rocky. Happy fall, everybody. Happy October. It, it, that's what this is. This Ugh. is just, it, it reminds me of like a chef apple cider donuts here. That's, yeah, that's the idea. No, what this reminds me of is freaking October 2020. That's exactly what that is in a can, dude. Ugh. It's really not. You know what? I, I want, like, it makes me want something that's either apple cider or something that's completely just caramel flavored. But mixing with, like, that, that tannic, acidy yeah, side yeah. to the cider we were talking about earlier no. does not mix with caramel. The only thing, you know, the sugar only... and acid apple do not go together. You know what it's missing? You know why it's not good? Huh. Peanut. There you go. <laughs> a little, little bit of peanuts yeah, sprinkled yeah, yeah. in there. Just, just <laughs> for the consistency. Just to chew them. I could see a caramel flavor with rum, but not with apple cider. Oh. This is pretty. Oh, I, I can't do it. That is heinous. Now, what happens if you did it warm? <laughs> warm cider. I, I don't know. What? Which? Oh, the, the the caramel? Yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit more like vomit. You mean? Yeah. Vomit. I don't know. Like I don't know All if right. it would. You know be... what? I do tend to sip things throughout the course of the show. I'll let you know. Oh. Yeah. So we wanted to do something. All right. Autumnal, right? We did. I'm not doing that again. For that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. I won't... Mac. Score one to ten on the on the caramel apple here. Do we have to go one? Oh no, you, you it's <laughs> one to ten. Um, them's the rules. Oh. I'm gonna go uh, one point nine. Okay, Eric. Point seventy five. Okay, I will never pay for this. Yeah, I it's it's liquid. If I if I. Absolutely needed a drink. Now, fair disclosure, there was a Scottish cider we wanted to try because the gentleman who recommended this idea to us uh, mentioned one called Thistley Cross, and I cannot find it. So yeah. we mm. got we got to get a hold of it at some point and try that so we can try a Scottish cider. But cider is so much an Irish thing, you know. I mean, just like apples are a Samhain and Halloween thing, apple cider goes along with it, you know. I would love to see you bobbing for apples, Rocky. That'd be hysterical. <laughs> I was bobbing for apple champ. In my church. Were you really? Oh, psh. Really? Dude, I would, oh, yeah. Okay, then. Didn't matter. I would, we used to, when we had, like, the church, uh, uh, back when I grew up, um, back in my day, um, early, mid-80s, the uh, 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 Lutheran church, we used to have a Halloween parade for all the kids, and we'd go in there, you know, a couple nights before Halloween, and, uh, uh, yeah, we'd bob for apples. I, I would, I would mm -hmm. rock it. The uh, mm -hmm. favorite story for, for... Halloween parade stuff as a child 
my brother screaming hysterically at age like three or four. Nobody could console him. You know, screaming, screaming, screaming the whole time. And uh, finally, I figured out that the, the little bunny costume that my mom put him in had a nice, you know, big cotton tail that she pinned on. Oh. And the pin came out and was stabbing him in the butt. And he was, this four-year-old was screaming oh hysterically. My gosh. And nobody could figure out why. And I'm like, oh, his tail's coming off. And he stopped screaming. <laughs> like, yeah. Not stabbing a small child in the rear end. Yeah. Tends to make them not scream. Because pain with a holiday like that is more of a Germanic tradition than an Irish <laughs> tradition. You Absolutely. Know. All right. My score. Caramel yeah. apple. Um, it is liquid. One. Like a flat one. If I was like in a desert, I would drink it. But that's that's uh, about it. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, not pleased. So, no, don't don't do this to yourself. Don't, just don't. This is not to say there aren't hybrid ciders out there that aren't nice. Like Magners makes a pear one, which is nice. We just had one that was a I can't remember the brand name, but uh, it was an apple pineapple that mix, hmm. and that was actually pretty tasty. Okay, you know, so ciders are like a whole microbrew thing of their own. Oh. They, they say we're in the cider yeah. renaissance right now, in fact. Yeah, so. when I went to the, the beer store, they had a, a ton of different ciders. Um, all different, you know, colors, weirdnesses, pears, all kinds of different fruity kinds stuff. weirdnesses. And yeah, it's it's not for me. Um, but yes, there's definitely some kind of renaissance micro cider thing Huzzah. going on. But uh, I'll stick to beer. Done. All right. So, now... Yeah. Let's get this thing out of the shot. Ugh. Get I move my these table things also. done. Um, what's up? I was just wondering if I should move my table. Uh, uh. Get my get my breath mints. Get my coffee. Blah. I'll have my angry orchard. I'll, I'll, I'll at least do a, put a dent in this one. All right, boys and girls. Out there in the Facebook, Twitch, YouTube lands. Load in your comments. Anything you got, let us know. We will answer as honestly as humanly possible. I'm, I'm tempted to throw you a ringer in, in since we're on theme with it being uh, October and everything. Okay. I would like <clears throat> to uh, have Mac over the next half hour or so uh, collect some comments on what people think of kilts as part of a Halloween costume. And then we can chime in on what we think of that in, in a half hour or so. What do you think? Good point. Out there on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch land. We have to come up with one word for all them. The interwebs, whatever. Interwebs. Sure. Um, what do you think? Should someone, should anyone at any point, Scottish or not, wear a kilt as part of a Halloween costume? Um, should they? Yeah, even like, or if they're they're just their first kilt, if it's their hundredth kilt, if they wear a kilt every day, if they've never worn a kilt before, you know, if they're Braveheart, if they're full Prince Charlie, what do you think? Would you ever wear a kilt as part of a Halloween costume? Let us know, yeah. and we'll give our spiel on it in the like third or fourth question yeah we'll yeah. do that gives a little bit of time yeah cool in the meantime in the meantime okay mr eric all right regalus okay we had a question from lance who's in new zealand thank you for watching lance hey uh across the world he comments that he was lucky enough to find secondhand a sheriff muir set so a sheriff muir jacket tie and vest i'm assuming by with tie probably it's like a rouge tie or something but uh and they fit great he was wondering if he could use any part of that outfit with a grandfather shirt for a more toned-down, casual, kind of rakish look. Could you combine something as formal as a sheriff in your jacket with a grandfather shirt? Or is that crossing the streams? 
are you in a band? <laughs> I would I would honestly start there. Um, like going, my my mind immediately goes to John uh, John McPhee from the Doobie Brothers right. as a Montrose double. Was it Montrose? Yeah, or, yeah, it was Montrose. Yeah, the one with the double, mm-hmm. the big double yep. breast thing. Yep. Um, he bought one of those from us, um, and he's worn that on stage a few times just as part of a fun costume, you know, rock and roll thing. Yeah, slightly over um, the top rock and roller kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, would I do it in a regular, everyday basis? No. But I'm not in a band. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'd say um, I'm more more the dandy than he is. I would say that you could possibly use the jacket with a banded collar shirt that's not as textured and soft as a grandfather shirt is, because this looks more rustic. Um, whereas, you know, like a crisp, you know, cotton... Uh, dress shirt type bandy collar shirt or something maybe you could rock that with the Sheriff Muir jacket I would not try and use the vest for anything because if, if I'm not mistaken Sheriff Muir vests typically are very high cut almost like a scoop neck if I'm remembering correctly you know they're not they're not they don't have the the deep V the way a regular right. vest does so I think that'd be kind of goofy looking with a lot of different things um, but uh, I could see doing the the Sheriff Muir on its own with a, a nicer shirt um, if you want to do the whole Celtic rakish swashbuckly kind of look, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's that cider. Yeah, it's back in my brain. But it, the, but this is this is rustic, and the sheriff in your jacket is crisp and formal. You know, as romantic as it is, so I don't think it would work that well together. Yeah, it's it's crossing streams. I don't. It's it it's it's definitely not traditional. Um, starting from that point, um, it's and it's it's not casual. But if you have an affection for it and you just want to do it to be avant-garde and, you know, off the wall a little bit, now, have at it and see it, if you like yeah, it. Yeah, if you're going to do the, like, I think avant-garde is a good way for, to put it. If you're going to do, like, the whole rock and roller, you know, heavy metal, goth, you know, nightclub kind of thing, then maybe the Sheriff Mirror jacket with a black t-shirt, <clears throat> you know, like, really go into the rock and roll phase. Right. End of things, you know, maybe have a, a, a necklace or something. You know, get your, get your... Boar's head, silver boar's head charm, and get your here. get your devil horns on your, or whatever. Yeah. Horns, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's hang loose. Yeah, I'm sorry, I was that's that's out. devil horns. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So I mean, like that's I I have to go one way or the other. I wouldn't try and mix a rustic. And this is I love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, send us a picture. Whatever you try. Yeah. I I I like to see it. I don't I would, know if I'd dig on it, but I'd see I wouldn't, it. I wouldn't do it with this shirt. I, I think a t-shirt would be cool, though. Like a black, basic black, simple shirt like that. And maybe a chain of some kind. That could be pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I'll give it that. But again, I'm going off, like you said, like the whole rock and roll thing. Yeah. Not traditional at all. Yeah. But. They put, like, studs on it. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have, like, the 18 Extra hole. chains. 18 hole dock, you know. Zippers. And going, like, right, a 70s right. punk stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worn with the Royal Store kilt. There you go. There you go. Vivian Westwood guy. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right, Mr. Mack, who do we got out there in the interwebs? All right, well, first, I guess we should uh, let everybody know what tartans you guys are wearing. They were... We could do that. They were questioning it. Uh, we did put the, the question out there during our silent uh, phase of the <laughs> of the show. <laughs> but uh... our, our Charlie Chaplin silent movie era. <laughs> the old time. Yes. yes. Tink, 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 tink. <laughs> yes, you gotta love live TV or internet stuff uh, uh yes technology um eric 
What are you wearing I today? I believe there, somebody buddy? out there guessed it. From what Max said, this is the Scruffy Wallace tartan, which uh, I happen to love. Speaking of rock and roll tartans and rock and roll yeah. kilts, yeah. Good point. Good point. One of my absolute favorites. <clears throat> the today I am wearing the Royal Stewart weathered tartan. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've stated before, I'm not a big fan of Royal Stewart. It's just very very common. But when the mill did the weathered version of it, it was one of those like it's it's different enough. That not many people have it that I was just like, yup, that's for me. But Rocky, you are not a Stuart or Royal. Isn't that a restricted Isn't that a restricted target? <laughs> Says you, King Rockefeller the third. Okay. Um no. The uh and my wife's a Stuart, so I kind of Actually can, she is, yeah. I, I could steal it from that perspective. Right. Like go at it from that angle. Mr. Mac, what you got on over there, buddy? I have also a weathered tartan on. <gasps> I'm wearing the McLean Dwart weathered. Wow. And a pretty tartan it is, Mac. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the next question? So we have uh, Flippin' Treasures has a question. Uh, When is the best time to visit Scotland slash Ireland? That's a very good question. Depends on what you want to go for. The, I, when I've gone, I usually go for a trade show that's in January. Um, So I actually like going in January because I don't want to deal with the crowds. I, I do like the outdoor stuff, but I'm warm. So I don't mind being outside in winter and I don't mind driving in the snow and that kind of thing. Not that there's really that much snow there. Um, so I don't, I like going in the winter. Um, it's cooler uh, and it's, there's just, there's less tourists. Yeah, you're off season. I mean, there's never yeah. not a tourist season at this point, but that's the. <laughs> yes, there is. 2020. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, that notwithstanding. Um, pretending this video is being watched five years from now on YouTube. Fair. Um, yeah, but that's when, that's the low. That's yeah. the nadir of tourist activities in the winter. And yet, there's like, isn't that one music festival in Glasgow? Isn't that like in January, February or something? I just remember it's a cooler part of the year, yeah. I think. And it's like, they shut down the whole city, the, because, essentially, because it's all these as soon as somebody says it, be like, and bars yes. are having music nonstop. You may be thinking of the Celtic Connections, which is in January. Okay. It's a three-week-long Celtic folk and world music festival. There you go. I think so, that's yeah. it. That started in 93. Okay. Yep. yep I think yep. that's probably the one then. Then that's what I've, that's absolutely what I've seen then. Yep. Because yep. it would be January. But I would say that what I'm driving at is think about what you want to do, like Rocky said. Um, personally, I would go any time of year that's not midge season. Uh, the, the midges are horrible. Uh, if you think you've ever dealt with mosquitoes or anything in this country, you have no clue how bad it is. They're like, like little biting gnats. Yeah. And, and it's like literally, it's like scraping them off your arms. There's just like thick. Uh, so any, any time except mid season, I think the fall is, is okay. Kind of a best of the middle, you know, it's cooler. It's not quite as crowded, but the point is think about what you want to do. Um, do you want to avoid crowds? Um, is your main focus going to be going to sites where there's going to be a lot of people, for instance, castle tours, or do you want to do the whiskey trail or do you want to go, uh, hill walking and hiking? Uh, I would argue that, uh, you might want to avoid the crowds more or plan a time of the year with fewer crowds if you're doing historic sites and you're going in and out of buildings with tight spaces and stuff. Uh, whereas the hiking, it's probably not as much of a big deal as long as it's not mid-season. So uh, if you can really, if, if, if money is no object and timing is no object, then of course you might even want to consider going over the holidays because Hogmanay, the fireworks display and the celebrations for Hogmanay, it's the biggest New Year celebration in the world. So think about what's happening on their calendar that you might want to catch. 
you know, as a once in a lifetime experience. I will point this out as well. Um, depending on what time you go, time of year you go, there's also the the concern for things being open. My wife is a steward of Appen, so we went out to that area, went to Castle Stalker, but there is a tourist shop that kind of overlooks it, and that's just closed. Mm -hmm. There wasn't really anything in the area um, that was open in January when we went. Yeah. So we had to just kind of like hang out at a closed store's parking lot. But um, if you want, if you want solitudinous <clears throat> hiking in nature, then maybe that's not a big deal. Yes, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of what you want to do, how much you want to interact, if you want to buy things versus just hike. Right. Um, so yeah. I would Wonderful. Love, I would love to be in the park in Edinburgh for Hogmanay fireworks. See the fireworks going off over the castle. That is stunning. I agree. It's they they Scots know how to party. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Mr. Eric, let's do another one. Sure. Okay. This is a No, I don't want to do that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, whoever's question that was. We're not going to do it. I, I want to do it justice, so I'll get back to <clears> it later. Um, Shane Ward asked us, what is the funniest story you have of someone trying to decide what tartan to pick? Okay. Like someone who's just caught in the confusion of, how do I choose which tartan it is? Yeah, how, how far down the rabbit hole did they go? Yeah. Um, I don't know if funny is the word. Yeah, you know? there, it's, there, there's differing levels of frustration or indecisiveness. Mm -hmm. um, the only story that I would have that's funny, for lack of a better term, uh, is a customer of ours, Sean Smith from Ohio. Um, he is so obsessed. How obsessed is he? <laughs> He's so obsessed that the man found a Scottish shop that was going out of business, bought their swatch books that they actually have, like that we carry in the store, but all of their swatch books pay good money for these things and has them in his house so he can look through and pine over which one of his the tartans are going to be you know his next purchase um wow that's a whole different level of dedication especially because i think he paid something like 500 bucks just for the swatch books really uh, yeah, well in fairness swatch books ain't cheap well that's true that's yeah. true okay um the mills, some of the mills charge for swatch books, other mills don't, and some charge exorbitant prices for theirs. Um, but yeah, it's that's the the only standout story I can think of. Okay, with somebody that's pretty extreme stuff. That is. So it's like you know some people's houses you go and you're <clears> waiting for them to bring out the drinks, and you're just looking at the coffee table books, and you're like, oh, oh Scotland. Here's my wedding photo Castles album. Of Scotland, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. At, at Sean's house, it's all swatch books. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's like a book of coasters. I, mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's more a question of, um, I've, I've had many times doing sales, sharing somebody's pain where it's taken them hours to decide which tartan they wanted. And we try to, we try to narrow it down to like, you know, three is a magic number. So we'll basically start with like all the variants of your clan tartan. Okay. And then all the, you know, sub variants that, well, you know, I really don't like the mark. Okay. And we take that away. And we can bring it down to like three. And then still, that process of elimination sometimes can take some people so long. It's like we'll wind up taking them over to some other part of the showroom and, and fitting them out with a jacket and stuff like that and then come back to it. Um, and even then, sometimes they just can't make up their minds. So if you're in that sort of a quandary, if you're expecting to be, what I've always recommended in the past is um, think ahead a little bit, if you can, 
and uh, get the swatches ahead of time, take them home, and magnetize them to the refrigerator. And just look at them every morning when you go to get your breakfast. So you have your your top two or three choices. And just at some your point... your cereal. Yeah. And staring directly. Probably, probably at some point, like, in a week or a month or whatever, you're going to see them like, that's it. You know what I mean? It's just the more you're exposed to them for a long <clears> period of time, the more likely it is that one's going to pop out as your gut instinct telling you that's the one you want. Or yeah. the more... I, I would kind of I would take that exact thing and go the exact extreme opposite. The way you do, as I do, um, you're gonna look at them and over time you're gonna get used to both of them and kind of say, either one's gonna be fine. I just gotta do one. True. Um, sure. And you're not gonna have a strong visceral. Oh, I need that one kind of reaction. If yeah. you don't have that to start with, then I'd say then you're never really gonna get it. You just kind of you kind of wear yourself down and kind of go, I, I love them both. Either one's going to be fine. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you wind up getting both in the in the fullness of time. It's like you you have you have tiered voting, you know you have your your top choice and then you have the one you you save up money for for another time. Where it gets more complicated, painfully, is when a spouse or someone's involved, yeah. and you have yeah. a disagreement over which tartan they are interested in you having, especially for like a wedding. Um, that can become a, an interesting point of discussion, uh, <laughs> discussion. that I've seen <laughs> unfold several times and go in various <clears throat> different directions. Um, if they have a vision of what they think you look good in that is different from your vision, that can be that can be interesting. And I don't know what the solution to that one is, except, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Battling to the death. Swords, dueling pistols. Well, that's why we have the pit. Yeah, out back. exactly. Yes, yeah. mm -hmm. yes, and the the big long like sticks. Yes, yeah, yep. absolutely. You know, the cardboard tubes that the tartan comes in. Yep. I hate thing. having thunk, to thunk, feed thunk. the alligators in the bottom of the pit though. Like those are very nasty. Mm -hmm. It's true. I hope that helps, Mr. Mac. <clears throat> All right. So, do we want to go back into the costume question, or do we want to continue on? And we let can do that... that now. What was the costume question? I don't know. What was the question? Would um, you Would you wear a kilt? Oh, as part of your Halloween costume. Would you wear a kilt as part of your Halloween costume? Is it is it heritage and therefore should never be a costume, or is it so? Okay to it? it would. It seems like most of the comments that were coming in were more geared to the word choice of being called a costume. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where the hangup seems to be. If okay. they're saying if you're portraying a particular person like Rob Roy or William Wallace, okay, then that's a little bit more okay, even. There were several people who made comments saying they're dressing up as the legendary WWF wrestler, Rowdy Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper. Piper. That, that seems to be fine, <coughs> but if you're dressing up as something else, as that a seems generic to be, Highlander. Yeah, that seems I to be what a hang-up very, is. I think that's very salient. I, that's yeah, an I astute would observation. I would agree, yeah. Good job, people out there. That's like, that's <laughs> like if, I were, if I had Mexican-American heritage, or, or if I didn't. Even, you know, and I wanted to dress as somebody like Pancho Villa, somebody who was like a famous guy or hero. Um, that would be different than being a generic Mexican bandito, which is like incredibly offensive. You know what I mean? And I think, I think, you know, people with Celtic heritage could argue that, you know, it's offensive to make a mockery of their traditional costume as well. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, not expressing it as clearly as I would like, but, you know, it's just like you see these horrible Halloween costumes out there. Yeah, especially the ones, that my favorites. Twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, my yeah. favorites are the ones where if you push a button or pull the string, the kilt lifts up and you get an extra piece of the costume you can see. Um, those are particularly offensive. So, eyes, my eyes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't Google that. Fun at but, office parties. Yeah. 
Um, but now, now here's here's where I would take it. What about incorporating a kilt into a completely fantastical thing? Like, for instance, when the Star Wars movie came out, uh, one of the Star Wars movies, we actually had me dress up in a kind of a Jedi outfit, but with a kilt, and I swung a lightsaber around. You know, just a shtick because of Star Wars, right? Right. You know, kilted Star Wars is better than regular Star Wars. Is that cool with most of our brethren out there? Because then you're just taking the coolness of a kilt and adding it to something else. So that's a totally different world from, you know, ah, oh, I'm a yeah. Highlander, I'm Braveheart, you know, that that kind of BS. Yeah, I, I don't know, like I'm I am absolutely torn, and I can see both sides of the argument, like very very clearly. Um, of this is heritage, this is you know, this is who I am, this is part of my culture. Um, it should not be made a mockery of. It should not be made fun of. Um, I do like the the distinction that the the people in the audience made about historical figures, whether you're yeah. dressing up as you know Robert Burns or you know Robert the Bruce or whatever. Not that they would wear a kilt. But, yeah, Burns you know, wouldn't have. But whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sir Walter Scott. Hey. Sure. Sure. <clears throat> so I do like that distinction. Um, yeah, I, and I do think the the Rowdy Roddy Piper. I've done the Rowdy Roddy Piper thing, but that's I'm emulating someone who's done it. But yeah, I I see the fun, but I see the insult simultaneously. Would I do it? No, probably not. Would I think poorly of someone who did? It, it depends on depends on the interpretation. If they were trying to okay. become a caricature of. A Scottish person. They had the Sea of Jimmy hat with the red hair coming down the sides. They had their their best worst accent. Stereotype. Um, yeah, they were yeah. just straight up stereotyping. Then, yeah, I, I wouldn't dig on that. I think that's kind of insulting. Um, yeah. If there was, but if there was someone like Eric who was doing a Star Wars costume, but he was not trying to be a Scottish Highlander with a glow in the dark sword. Um, then I, I wouldn't find that as, yeah, it's just a twist on a Star Wars costume. Mm -hmm. In the same yeah. way, I don't think like the 501st, you know, Kilted Stormtrooper Brigade. Right, I don't, exactly. I don't think that exactly. they're mocking Scottish culture. It's they're, they're having fun with it, but mostly with the Stormtrooper thing. You're, when you're looking at them, the first thing your eye is drawn to, that's how I'm going to do it. When the first thing your eye is drawn to is the fact that they're a Stormtrooper or a Jedi or... Around, you know, whatever, um, and the kilt is almost secondary as like an accent piece. I'm less offended, okay, or I'm not yeah. offended. Versus if somebody is like a a, a Hoylander, but that's my horrible Scottish accent there. Yeah, but that's um, about how they how it goes. All that's the time. that's the yeah. point. If they're that bad, then I'm kind of like, eh, dude. Eh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 how crass it is. It. Uh, yeah, that's the stuff that bugs me. Like the Halloween costumes I was talking about, like. Oh yeah, I want to guess what's under me kilt, Lassie. I mean, that's but that that's the other. I think that's the other thing you gotta watch out for for Halloween is that how some people might react to you. You know, it's just like going to a St. Patrick's Day parade in a kilt. You may be exposed to some obnoxious behavior may. that you might that <laughs> you may, will be exposed may, to obnoxious behavior um, that you don't want. You know, so I guess it's something to be prepared for. You know, it's like what Halloween party you're going to or. Are you going to have drunk people like, ah, are you really a Scotsman? And trying to lift your kilt and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and they're not going to know that you're trying to represent Bonnie Prince Charlie or something like that. They're just going to see a Scotsman. 
Yeah. So there's there sometimes you might have a pearls before swine situation depending on what you're doing. You know. I would also say this. It's it would almost depend on the as much as I'm trying not to sound snobbish about it, like the quality of the kilt or the outfit. If you're wearing a $29.99 The Scotsman that you get on costumes.com yeah. um, with like a, a fur patch sewn on the front to pretend it's a sporin, right? then yeah, you're making a mockery of it. It's a caricature, hard stop. Right. If you're wearing a proper eight yard kilt with, you know, the outfit, whether it's you're, you're pretending to be Sir Walter Scott or whether you're pretending to be, you know, a, a, a Scottish Jedi. Um, I would be less offended by it just because I know you've at least spent money and tried with the outfit versus uh, yeah. phoning it in. I mean, you have a, you have a bit of an inside insider perspective. It's yeah. like it's like for instance, like um, I've been to heathen gatherings, and of course we're all into like the Nordic <coughs> stuff. And uh, we did a party. We did a, it was a Halloween party, and the one guy, as a joke, came in a joke Viking costume, complete with the horns and everything, and. And we, but you see, but to us, it's funny because well, it's you're a, making it, fun of yourself. Exactly, That's we're different. making fun of ourselves. It's insider humor. We knew what he was doing. It was like, okay, that's enough, Charlie. Just okay, take it off. Just <laughs> please, take the please, helmet God. off now, please. Charlie. Okay. Um, yeah, and it was Charlie. cool because we got it, and he did it for that intention. So, yeah. like, if you were going to a a Halloween party being hosted by you, your St. Andrews group or your AOH group or something like that, then you know, then you maybe a little more humor would be okay. But yeah. if you're just going out trick-or-treating or some generic Halloween party, then you might want to consider what kind of reactions you can expect. If y'all decide to go go Scottish for a Halloween costume, put those pictures up there on the Kilson Culture Group and tag us, because I want to see what people do. You know, I want to see what people's take on it is. You know, I think I would be willing to bet that most people are doing the fantasy thing plus kilt and not the, <clears throat> not the, ah, I'm a Highlander thing. Now, the question just came up. So what do we think about, like, Mike Myers... Fat and, bastard costume, and like the fat bastard, or or, or, or the characters like in uh, "So I Married an Axe Murderer," like yeah, you know where does that line then? I... Mike Myers' range is basically geeky American or slash Canadian and bad Scottish. Like that's his range of comedy. Austin Powers. Yeah, I'd say it's comedy, so it's always going to be subjective. There's, I have, I have a little. A little soft spot for a wider range, a wider berth for those in the the comedic field, shall we say, comedic mm. actors, you know, comedians straight up, um, to to give them a little bit more latitude, a little bit more rope to hang themselves, as it were. Um, hmm. So, you feel, because like uh, you're saying that you have to accept the fact that you're going to have some people poking fun at your ego, or poking your ego with some satire. <clears throat> Either I, I guess because I, I sort of could accept it on in that way as like okay. He's being a gadfly, you know, he's poking fun at he's, he's deflating egos, but that's me giving him some rope because personally, I don't like it. I've never I, liked Mike I'm, Myers' humor. I, th I think he's okay. It's like on, on a scale, uh, on a comedic scale of, you know, one to ten, he's a, he's a, he's a four. He, he's, he's fine. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't rush and, you know, sleep outside to wait for tickets to the next Mike Myers film, mm. um, but mm. he's fine. Um, so it's in that way I give him a little bit more rope in the same way I give all comedians a little bit more rope because it's an art whether you whether you think it's funny or not it is an art and it's not easy to make people laugh on command God knows I try um, <laughs> I, I pay him though so, <laughs> the, but the um, 
Yeah, so it's yeah, comedy is not easy. As as many people as as easy as it seems, if you're good, it seems easy. Dying if is you're easy. Bad, comedy is hard. Yeah. I'd give him props for the fact that he's done those the fashion shows that they do. So that's cool. I've seen him do that, but um, I find fat bastard particularly offensive because it's a fat shaming b I think it's using the a Scottish stereotype to get laughs and I don't really appreciate it. So I would It's low bar and, comedy. Get in my belly. It's, it's a low bar. It's kind of like the same way it's like I have mixed feelings about the old Monty Python sketches where um, they will make fun of Scotsmen the way Englishmen will often make fun of Scots in a cliche kind of manner. Now, they've done a couple of sketches where it's it's funny and the Scotsman is the hero, like the one with the, the Scottish tailor who has to save the world from the aliens. You don't know what the hell I'm talking about. No, I think I've seen that one. I'm, I'm, not, he, I'm not in depth. There's I'm, a Scotsman who winds up entering Wimbledon and beating the alien, and it's, it's funny because in the end the Scotsman is the hero. But the whole basis of the joke is that Scots have never won Wimbledon. So, you know, but it's okay. so it it's funny, but you know that it's they're picking at the, the Scottish stereotype and for the English to pick at the Scottish stereotype is kind of. Uh, but that was like 50 years ago. Yeah. So I don't know. It's complicated. All right. Mr. Eric. All right. Getting back to back to normal questions. Yeah. OK. Um, let's do a basic one for anybody new out there. Basically, um, uh, we had a gent. Canade, Canade, Canad Sim, Canade, Canad Sim, and I'm sorry if I'm mangling your pronunciation. For the budding serial kilters among us, can you give a few examples of casual outfits? How do you select footwear, accessories, t-shirt, etc.? There are a lot of examples if you Google casual kilt outfit, but not many great examples. So he's concerned about having a casual look that doesn't look sloppy. I'm gonna guess. Yeah. So this is some of you know this stuff already, but for, <coughs> for all the new folks out there, read the read the first sentence of that question again. <clears throat> for the budding serial kilters among us, can you give a few examples of casual kilt outfits? How do you select footwear, accessories, t-shirts, etc.? Okay. When you are, you know, deciding what to wear, you're going to wear a casual kilt outfit. What do you wear? Start with the kilt. Period. Obviously, um, that's the most important part of the outfit. Um, for me, then it, it's kind of your footwear, your socks, or lack thereof. God, I just said that. Um, your your shirt or your upper half. Um, or it, lack it, thereof. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Next show, no shirts. Yeah. Uh, no. We, we want an audience. That wouldn't work. Um, go ahead. Okay. The um, uh, it, basically think of the think of what you want your outfit to look like if you were wearing pants or shorts. And then put the kilt in place of the pants or shorts. So if I'm wearing a t-shirt, I'm not going to wear kilt hose and a pair of ghillie brogues because it's, 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 it's unbalanced. If I'm wearing a pair of sneakers, I generally would not wear uh, uh, like you know, kilt hose and flashes and that kind of thing with a pair of sneakers. I might do it with a pair of, with a pair of boots. Um, yeah. But if I'm wearing a pair of sneakers, I'd probably wear like cotton crew socks or ankle socks and a pair of sneakers and a t-shirt or something casual up top if i was wearing a golf polo or, or polo or golf shirt kind of thing then i could wear a pair of wingtips and and uh, uh hose and flashes or a pair of sneakers depending on how i wanted to look but mm -hmm. still both of those would still be acceptable yeah um i could wear a pair of combat boots with or without kilt hose and flashes either of those are fine to me but it's just a matter of making sure you're balanced 
and making sure that it, the top and the bottom look good together. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Mac back here is a great example of a guy who dresses very casual when he's working here at the shop, and yet it looks great because Mac is very good at coordinating his colors. Um, you know, if you're somebody who's colorblind or if you're shy about doing the whole color coordinating thing, then uh, don't worry about that. You know, stick to neutrals. Um, but it doesn't have to be complicated to look good. Um, if you're concerned about some of the casual outfits you see online, uh, everybody has a different level of experience. Everybody has a different level of uh, budget. Everybody has a different context that they're moving through. I mean, if you're just throwing a kilt on, like you throw on a pair of shorts because you're doing, going to the grocery store, you're probably not going to worry about how the outfit looks. If you're going out on a date, then yeah, you're going to take the time to make sure that the shirt you know, doesn't look ridiculous with the hose color. Um, you're going to do things like actually tuck in the shirt. That's probably the one base rule I'll always give yeah. is no matter what level of casualness or, or whatever you're doing with a kilt, do tuck the shirt in. I really think that untucked t-shirts don't look good with a kilt. Personally. Shirt, yes. Sweater, if you're wearing a sports jersey, no. But Right. Yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's, a, if it's a loose sports, sport, I would tuck in a, a, a rugby shirt, but I would yeah. not tuck yeah. in a hockey jersey. Correct. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's how I feel. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen some horrible examples of people tucking in uh, sweaters, although some people do do it, and it's it's a thing people do, so it's yeah. not against the rules. Depends I on just, the thickness just, of the sweater, Yeah, too. I just don't particularly care for it myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think keep it simple, um, keep it tidy, <clears throat> and everything will be fine. I would also say this. Mac is so good at matching, he even matched his shirt to the wall color behind him in the studio. <laughs> that is a level of dedication unseen. Literally unseen, because he I know. do the Sherlock Holmes Dude, we, camouflage. We need thing. to see if we can green screen this <laughs> and like suck the color out of the shirt in the background and just make him a floating head in like the center of the screen. Just, woo! It's like the orb from like the, the Wizard of Oz. There you go. <laughs> pay no attention to the man near the curtains. <laughs> pay, no pay no attention to the kilt maker behind the sewing machine. Um, yeah, I, th I think that... I, People overthink it. You know, I mean, you just get out there in the kilt and enjoy it. I would say this. people. Some people overthink it. Some people underthink it. Some people do underthink you it. Do I mean, need you should to look at the still, mirror before you leave the house. Yes, you do still need to pass a mirror. You do still need to look, you know, put together. You do still need to, you know, straighten your kilt so you have your gig line going right down the center. You have your belt, you know, at the proper position. Your shirt's tucked in. And your tie's not, whatever. Um, you still are representing yourself as well as culture at the, you know highland culture at the same time yeah. so you want to make sure you don't look sloppy you can look casual without looking sloppy yeah that's my point and, and if you're really thinking you're not sure if that hawaiian shirt's going to work with the kilt the answer is no it's not going to um in in, in a, when all else fails let the kilt and the sporn be the center of attention and let everything else fade into the background like i said keep it simple agreed yep mr mac so endeth the lesson all right, so before we get to our next question, we have to introduce our... So who's our Kilt Ambassador this month, Eric? I'm actually doing it this time, yeah. Um, our ambassador, I had the good fortune to talk to his parents because Tristan Hector is only eight years old. But this is a dude who wears a kilt full time. I mean, 24-7. Uh, he lives in Sacramento, California with his dad, who has Irish roots, and his mom, Tiffany, is a McDonald. And he used to wear a kilt occasionally for fun until, you know, last summer in 2019, 
His family took a trip to Scotland, and they visited a lot of places that the McDonald's have made an impact, like the Isle of Skye, so his own personal family heritage. And once he got home, he decided he was going to kilt up full time. At the age of eight, he puts the rest of us to shame, okay? So the only time he's not in a kilt, this, according to his parents these days, is uh, like when he's in a wetsuit, because he's a water baby, loves the ocean. But whether he's hiking or going into the mountains or doing volunteer work, which he and his sister also do, he's in his kilt. And apparently he does occasionally take some flack. Uh, but when he does, if he has kids who are poking fun at him or saying, ah, that boy's wearing a skirt, um, he apparently, according to his mom, will just stand a little taller, a little more proud, and he'll look right back at him and smile, smiling is key, and say, I'm Scottish, and this is a kilt. What's your heritage? Bam. Bam. So he's, he is the perfect ambassador for that, in my opinion. Tristan, I appreciate you doing that. Because Absolutely. That's what it's all about. Being proud, but also being polite and cordial to people. Uh, Tree wants to be a marine biologist. His dream is to save humpback whales. And I hope that, Tristan, you do that. That'd be a fantastic thing to for the, the whole planet. And I definitely want you to do it kilted. I want you to be the greatest kilted marine biologist in the world. Get lots of media coverage. And keep fighting the good fight. And when you do attain the title of greatest kilted marine biologist in the world. I want you to look back at this video from 20 years later and play this. And go, oh my God. Who are these random weird dudes talking well, about? Well, this is the best part. You know what his parents do if he's being grumpy, as, as Tiffany put it, grumpy, as his mom said? <laughs> they threaten to make him wear <clears throat> pants. That's their number one discipline thing is to make him wear pants if, awesome. he's, if he's not behaving himself. So Tristan... Slanchava, thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, that is awesome, especially for for that young of an age. Yeah. To be that yeah. confident, sure of yourself, and the the lack of of concern of peer pressure, kind of thing. Yep. I, I will give a impressive. shout out. Yeah, I'll give a shout out to his parents too, Tiffany and and your lovely husband, who I didn't speak to, um, that they are supporting him. He's been raised in a in a in a context where it's not only acceptable but it's encouraged. And that goes, like we always say here, that goes a long way. If you want this stuff to keep going, it starts in the home. Yep. So, and it starts at a young age. Absolutely. Oh, and he is trying to learn the pipes, too. So Nice. Yep. Nice. Good, good luck with that. That's going to take a little longer. Yeah. Yeah, I might want to <laughs> do that in the garage. <laughs> in a soundproof room. Yep. Very good. Mr. Cool. Mack, next question. All right. So we have uh, Lewis asking, uh, he's been making kilt pins Using magnetic uh, backings, what are the pros and cons to magnetic back kilt pins? Um, Louis, do you post these on the Kilts and Culture group? I think I've seen yeah. some of your work. Yeah, 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 it's super mm -hmm. cool. I love it. I don't think there's any drawbacks as long as the magnets are strong enough. Yeah, that's the thing that that's... scares me the most yeah. with magnetic kilt pins or magnetic anything is will it flop off? Um, kilt pins in general only weigh a few ounces. Mm. Um, so that's a plus, but it's, it's in a bit of a precarious position. If you're going to be walking around a lot and you know, you, you get a stiff breeze or your, 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 your front apron like snaps, like you snap a towel. Um, I could see it kind of flicking off there. Um, I think, I think some of the magnets out there nowadays, that doesn't concern me too much, but it getting caught on something. Yeah. I think like, um, I've, I've, I may have mentioned this before that. I will not wear a kilt pin if I'm doing something with a cord. Like it used to be one of my chores was vacuuming the, the, the showroom and the production area of this shop. And I swear, every time I did it, 
I got the cord looping around the top of the kilt pin. It was like, okay, nope, days when I'm vacuuming, I'm not wearing the kilt pin. Um, now, if it's a pin, I risk a tear, which is not good either. Yeah. But with the, if it was magnetic, I know it would just like, it would have popped off. off. Yeah. So I would say, given how good some magnets are these days, I think probably it's a good thing and you're going to be fine. If anything, I might go for broke and have like not just two attachment points, but three. Like really you know, ramp up. Magnetize the yeah, hell out magnetize of it. Yeah, magnetize the hell out of it. <laughs> you know? He, he but, said he's using uh, earth magnets. Um, okay. Using, a earth, using earth magnet backing, so I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not up my magnet technology, I, so I don't know. Yeah. I've had, I've had, uh, a Star Trek insignia. Um, Star Trek insignia pin, which is magnetic, and, uh, um, it's fine on thin fabric, but on a jacket or anything, um, it was too, it's too thick. Too much material. Fabric. It yeah. was too th for the magnet to uh, Magnetizer. work. Magnetizer, yeah. Yeah, to, to work well enough. So I'd say with a PV kilt, um, you're definitely fine. With a 16-ounce wool kilt, you might find the magnets are having a little bit of a, more of a struggle to stay magnetized. I'd say make sure you're just going through one layer yes. of the wool. Um, so if you're, you know, where are the magnets that it's not on, like where there's, you know, the fringe where it goes back, forth, back, forth, you know, in that area. Um but yeah, outside of that, as long as the magnet itself is good, fine. I would say, if it were me, I would test it with a kilt pin or two that I didn't care necessarily if I lost it. Sure. Um, just to be safe that way. Uh, but outside of that, nah, it's if you've tested it, you know the magnets are strong enough, you're buying the same brand magnets, and the, your next kilt pin isn't heavier than the first one, and you're not going, you know, somewhere where you're going to be, you know, getting knocked about a whole lot. You should be. Yeah, I think that's, I was going to think the context also, like if, you know, it, it, if you're going to some friend's wedding or something, you're probably fine. If you're going to a festival, maybe it's going to get bumped into and scraped along chairs and stuff like that, you know, in a crowd and be more of a risk. Yeah. But I love the idea of not risking marring the fabric of the kilt. So I think it's definitely, it's definitely worth keeping up pursuing because uh, it's kinder on, kinder on the fabric than anything mechanical. Yeah. So I would say, I'd, I'd be curious to know what's the longest period of time you've kept one on the kilt. Um, I mean, like a day or a week, you know, constant wear, you know, hiking or going to a dance or what were you doing? So. Sure. But I would, yeah, I'd, I'd want to have maybe even three magnets if it were me. Yeah. Because I'm paranoid. I agree. But it's agree. cool. It's a cool idea. Eric, you are getting some uh, Star Trek uh, love on here now. Yes. I'm, I'm mostly Klingon, but I do have... I'm sympathetic to Starfleet for the most part. So, Good to know. May the Force be with you. And also with you. <laughs> Let's pray. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of where I was going. I was hoping Mac was going to say it, but that's fine. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give right. this a fair shot. I'm going to try and taste some of this, see if it's changed, and it's sat around. Uh, uh, don't do it. Don't do it. it smells nice. It's in a nice glass. It smells like caramel. Yeah, it's, the glass is the best part. Oh. Uh. It's a little more tolerable now. Now that it's breathed, breathed, rapid. No, no. Nope. Nope. Can't fool no. me. No, it's still it. not good. Nope. It's better. It's funny. It, it's it's better now that it's off gas a little bit, but it's still not. All right. Uh, 
Max gonna do it too. I'm I'm not. I don't no peer pressure. Tristan, you and me, buddy. No peer pressure. <laughs> nah. Nah, no, nope, no. Nope. What do you think nope. Max, has it changed? Uh, mine's still in the can, so oh, okay. it, it's still it's still on the, the chilled side. So it I still tastes about the same. Yeah. Uh, is is dog pee any better <laughs> after a half hour? Eric and Matt weigh in. It's no. 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 I think that's Just, a that's in this day and age, that's probably a brand of you know microbrew IPA out there somewhere. You know, there's probably some guy out there in Seattle who's like, hey man, let's call it dog pee. Yes. Dude, try my newest one, Labrador piss. It's awesome. <laughs> this is a little more hopsy. <laughs> All right. Is it my yeah. turn? Uh sure. Okay, it's my turn. Uh, Terry Vizia on YouTube was asking us a while back, um, how do you explain saffron to people? How do you explain saffron? That's a great question just in and of itself. Um, I have one, I have one, and a lot of people that only see it online think that it's way more orange than it is. And so I try to compare it to like Carhartt brand tan. Is there a standard color of saffron or... If not, how do you what do you, what do you say saffron is to somebody who doesn't know what the heck a saffron kilt is? Saffron is Eric. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is a yes. spice correct? It is also a spice. Yes. Yes. Saf well, that's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. It's the spice. Yep. So saffron itself is a spice, a very very expensive spice, and you can use it to dye things, to dye it this color. It's like a a mustardy Dijon mustard brown kind of mm -hmm. Carhartt mm -hmm. tan kind of color, caramelish, and it's it's a bit difficult to describe the color. But I would say this, there are going to be multiple shades oh. of saffron in the same, there's going to be, same way there's going to be multiple shades of like indigo. There's not just one, you know, indigo color. Some are going to be a little bit lighter, a little bit darker, getting from a dyeing perspective, depending on right. the chemicals that you put into it or how long it seeps in the dye, how well the, the cloth, the medium absorbs the color, that kind of thing. So... There's no one color of saffron. Uh, uh, Martin Mills and La Caron both do saffron fabric, and they're both a little bit different. They're not, like, you can't lay them on top of each other and say, aha, they're both the exact same. That's the shade of saffron. Um, and I think Martin Mills even does a, a, a shade of saffron in polyviscose. So even that's a touch different. So there's no one and only shade. They're close enough for government work you know what it is okay. um it's not like oh why is that you know neon yellow that's not saffron it's not that bad but they're reasonably close and yeah i'd say the the easiest common denominator would be like the carhartt brown kind of caramely color is the easiest way to describe it yeah i'd say for, for for kilts that's the most common especially for guys that you know may wear carhartt fabric i think it's uh it's, it's important to realize that though we call it saffron, if you go back in time uh, to the origins of saffron being a significant color, uh, it's because it was called, it was considered the color of the kings um, in Ireland. And I don't know that saffron, the spice, was always used as the source for that dye. There are other tannic dyes that you can use, my wife would know which ones, which can produce that kind of mustard yellow. So whether they're using true saffron or using a native wood, to get that color, I don't know. But I think that what that I'm pointing out is that there historically there have always been differences in the color of saffron. It's a range. It's definitely not a solid, must always be exactly this Pantone. Um, to Rocky's point, 
if you order a saffron kilt and accessories, this is just like using a tartan. You need to make sure you're getting it from the same source when you buy something later on so that you have a, a correct color match. You know, like if you decide to get the, the flashes later because you didn't get them with a kilt, you want to make sure you're getting it from the same cloth if possible. And Yeah, I'd even go a step further. Um, <clears throat> when somebody wants to buy a kilt or whatever, and they say, well, we ask them, do you want to buy a fly plate or matching flashes? And if they ask, you know, why should I buy it now versus later? Because it's cut from the same bolt of cloth. There's a reason the phrase cut from the same bolt of cloth is a thing. Because it's going to be a dead-on match. Because it's not, you know, dial-lot 1 versus dial-lot 82. Um, or, you know, the, the run of this tartan number 1 versus run number 82. Years later, it could be a slightly different color green, a slightly different color blue, a slightly different color saffron from the same mill, yep. it can vary from batch to batch. It is going to be more forgivable in a tartan than it would be in a solid color. So if if your you know your your Piper's plate in saffron is ordered four years later from your kilt, even if it's the same mill, it will be a different batch. It very may well be a different color and it's gonna look a little different. And I'd rather in that instance, order at the same time as the kilt to make sure it matches if you think you're going to want it later on. Same thing with tweeds. Like, there's a lot of things where trying to match something after the fact, especially years later, can prove very difficult. Yeah. Yep. In a nutshell. Indeed. I think the Carhartt's is a good analogy, though. I think he's already got the, the answer for how you explain it. Yep. Mr. Mac. You know what uh, Saffron... The color saffron would go great, would match this can. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which can? Oh, this. Uh, the, uh, the, caramel the, the caramel apple can. can. It would go. It would oh, go with that so really it's, well. It match yeah, perfect. Can't remember? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And the green for the bile and the. Yeah. <laughs> I won't say uh, what the brown's for. That's. Oh, uh, that's yeah. No, no, don't. Blake's caramel apple. Don't do it. <laughs> Flakes caramel apple. Try another flavor. <laughs> Flakes caramel apple. Nope. We not tried. this in Blake's. I'm sure they do some good stuff. Not that one. Your turn, Mac. All right. I so believe. we have Ginger Zombie 23 asking. Sounds familiar. I got a question. What sort of modern food, meaning not shortbread, haggis, or other traditional foods, is uniquely or di distinctly Scottish? Deep fried Mars bars. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. Munchy boxes. Yeah. Yeah. What's distinct? Indian food. <laughs> it's, you know. The most Scottish of Indian foods. Yeah. <laughs> curry. Yeah. Lamb curry, man. It's, uh, it's all about yeah. curry. That's it's, not, but that's a whole UK, not just Scotland. But. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Indian Deep. influence, and they they have, like, takeaway curry, takeaway Indian food in the same way that Americans have Chinese food takeout. It's a different culture, but it, it just works, and they love it. Um, in the same way that people in Boston love Dunkin' Donuts for some ungodly reason. Um, the, <laughs> it's a regional thing. Um, the, uh, uh, yeah, but the deep-fried Mars bar and, like, and, and munchy boxes, those are the two I'm going with. Yeah, um, uh, fried fish. Is, it's not really modern. But, it's also but... English, fish and chips. Yeah, yeah, fish and chips really came about with the Industrial Revolution, and a lot of the people who are actually—it's funny because a lot of people who are actually making the taking the the herring or the haddock, 
I forget what show she is. Um, I think it was Herring. Haddock, uh, Haddock would be the bigger cuts. Yeah. Herring's the little guy. Yeah, little so guys. it's not Herring I'm thinking of. I'm, I'm confusing with my own heritage. Give your um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, basically, they came down from Scotland to the fishing towns on the coast to work in the fish processing plants. So they were some of like the very first people who, who um, were involved with making fish and chips a, a mass food, interestingly enough. And then it was a result of the rail system in Britain that it became popular because they, they caught the fish, processed the fish on the coast, and they could transport it by rail. So it's, it's kind of a, a weird fusion of Scottish and, Brit and English uh, Victorian culture. So I'd say that that's a, that's a very pe people's food. It was definitely a working class food for, for years, and it still is. Um, yeah, I mean, but, one... but really super modern. I mean, that's still 150 years old I'm talking about, but super duper modern, yeah. and then, yeah, fried, fried candy bars. <laughs> the one thing that's kind of uh, uh, always weirded me out about fish and chips, why do they serve it in newspaper sometimes? Because newspaper was plentiful and it absorbed the grease. But isn't it, like, dirty? I don't know. Yeah, but you're, it, it's the 19th century, dude. You don't care about that. Uh, fair, fair. <laughs> it was, it no, was seriously, it was cheap. It was, it was, you, know, you had lots of newspaper well, yeah. sitting around. So, do, so is it like Silly Putty where you get the, uh, you get the advertisement on the on I've the one never side? had that happen. I've never <laughs> had that happen. But I've, I've always wondered that too. Like how much ink are you ingesting if you have traditional <laughs> yeah, fish and travel, travel fish and chips? Does but, newspaper, like does that, does the newspaper imbue a certain smell certain or taste quoi. to, to the fish? Uh, I don't, like, I don't think so. Personally. It has a certain smell. Newspaper has like a certain smell to it. But there is I mean? a. But there is a. It does feel better to have a, a newspaper. I don't know how. To, I don't know what I mean See, by that. It's I, just I like, guess the last time I've had it, it was just in newsprint. It didn't. It wasn't actual right. newspaper. It yeah. was just a newspaper. Well, especially newsprint. nowadays because you have fast food places and they just they're taking paper off a well, roll. It's not like actual newspapers. And but. yeah, because I mean. Look how much newspapers actually being made now. Right. It's all online. Right, but again, part. the newspapers—it's it, that whole you know industrial culture in mm -hmm. Britain that brought the two together. Because you know, I gotta sell you this stuff. I gotta give you something to take it away in. I got lots of scrap paper here. Here, here's your food. It just—I don't know. It just feels legit. You know, it's okay. I know it's a thing, and, and it definitely helps absorb. It, it does help absorb the the grease, so it is handy from that standpoint. Okay. Is, here's here's a random. Now I'm hungry, man. Now I'm on fish and chips. Here's a random thought hypothesis: Is was it pre-recycling, so they weren't recycling well, yeah. the newspaper? Therefore, right. they had to get rid of it anyway. No, so no the recycling. newspaper companies are like, you know, there's no recycling in yeah. the 19th century. That's my point. So you just kind of like, yeah, you know, you can have it because we're going to throw it out right. anyway. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It was mm. the paper plates of the time. Mm. Indeed. Mm. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's their recycling. I mean, Munchie boxes, for those who don't know, is basically a bunch of junk food served in a pizza box. Um, the name comes from it's definitely 420 culture originally, uh, but it's basically that you could get these even after hours, late into the night, or 24/7 from fast food places, especially because they got all this excess fried food left over at the end of the night, and they'd sell it cheap. Okay, so it's like two in the morning, and you and your mates need something to eat. You go and get a Munchie box, and it's, and now it's become a thing. Um, eats, they have themed munchie boxes. They have breakfast munchie boxes. The calorie count on them is astronomical, like 10,000 <laughs> calories think? per box. Yeah. But it's, it's about as Scottish as you can get because it's, you know, consuming mass quantities of, of fried food and you get a little bit of everything and it's kind of awesome. But it's Damn. not a single food, but I think it qualifies as a modern expression of Scottish street cuisine, shall we say. 
Fair point. Yeah. For for the pothead brethren. Yes. But I think I think I think the other but but gourmet cuisine, um, their desserts have be, have been a big thing. Um, like um, like what is it? Drunken Laird, Tipsy Laird. There are these custard uh, desserts and stuff you're that they do. Off my head now. Yeah. That that's that's I'd say look at the the, the, the desserts if you want the, what's considered like the high art of Scottish cuisine now is that they do a lot of stuff with traditional desserts and putting twists on and make them fancy. Yeah, I'm I'm bland. I'm you know burger and mm -hmm. fries mm -hmm. or chips, if you will. Like um, tipsy Laird, Banoffee, stuff like that. Very good. I'm so hungry now. Now we do have someone saying that the uh, originally it was wrapped wrapped in newspaper, but they potentially sometimes would have an inner layer of a white paper. Okay. So for for the hygiene. Okay. Um, so you know, depending on on where you got the newspaper, yeah, you, you can know, read the, the Daily Record. Yeah. The Daily Record, as someone said, may have the best uh, the best flavored uh, ink out there. There you go. There you go. Just enough lead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, cherry <laughs> flavored newspaper. Indeed. Quite. Um, Mr. Eric. Yes, sir. We are rambling today, folks. I appreciate your patience. Indeed. Hopefully, Especially after starting hopefully. out 15 minutes with a uh, lack of audio. Yeah. Really. We're just trying to make up. Um. It, but yeah, hopefully we're entertaining. All right, I'm entertained. That's what matters. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Okay, Brian Jarvis had asked us. This will take me a while to read. Just hang in there. I want to wear my firefighter memorial kilt with my scout uniform. Shoes are ankle high knees or Keens hiking shoes. Um, should I wear the green scout high socks with the firefighter memorial flashes? Or just regular hiking socks. You know, how, should he be pairing with the kilt? Um, I'd love to get the Clan uh, McLaren Tartan one of these days, but right now I'm doing the firefighters since I have 38 years volunteering with my local uh, fire department. Yeah. Thank you for your <coughs> service there. Um, if you're mixing that tartan with an official Boy Scout uniform, I'm assuming he's a scoutmaster, um, is there any conventions you should follow to round out the look? Now, for socks, I'd either wear a pair of kilt hose with flashes and your, your boots that you wear for scouting, or I'd wear the scout socks and the boots without the flashes. I wouldn't try to do both. I think that would yeah. look odd, like you're crossing the streams in a weird way. Um, but either would be fine, either the scout socks without flashes or kilt hose with flashes, in my mind. Yeah, I'd be tempted to do, like I always say, context is king. I would say if it's just uh, you know camping weekend, then don't worry about the kill hose. Just go with the boots and everything. Um, if it's a ceremonial occasion, um, I forget what they call them, but they, they have the special occasions where they the kids get their their uh, rank awards and stuff like that. If it's a ceremonial occasion, then I would probably spruce it up a little bit and do the kill hose and the flashes. That's yeah. how I play it. You know, just or like, if it's going to be a cold weekend then and you yeah. still want to wear it, then I probably yeah. would do the uh, kill hose all the way up just mm -hmm. underneath the knee and... Mm -hmm. Be a little bit warmer. Now, the uh, I guess the the degree the degree to which a kilt is acceptable with a scout uniform varies from troop to troop, is my understanding. Uh, anybody who's out there who's in it can clarify. Um, I do know that uh, some people will get huffy about you mixing a kilt with the scout uniform because it's just not official. Um, other people will say that a kilt is only okay if it's you've got the wood badge, and in which case you can wear the McLaren tartan, but that's it. So, uh, as I often say in these situations, check with your, your peers to make sure that you're not going to surprise anybody and ruffle any feathers. But, uh, 
locally, I've we haven't had anybody that I know of in Pennsylvania who's gotten into hot water with anybody about it. Nah. They've been pretty chill about, you know, if you want to show your heritage and mix it with the scout uniform, it's fine. So. Yeah. I'd land pretty much the same place on it. Yeah. Cool. Mr. Mac. All right. So we have uh, TM. He's asking, what's the significance of waistcoats with collars? And are there certain times they should be worn with waist or worn with waistcoats without collars? Does he mean by lapels or I'm, collars? I'm, I'm guessing lapels. I think he means the lapels. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just a look. I don't think there's a big significance to it. It's just no. a look. Um, the majority of the time, and what, the reason I'm saying lapels versus collars is because a lot of times on uh, uh, tweed waistcoats um, or vests, you end up with basically the back is satin. So there's a, a seam right on the shoulder, and the lapel basically is here, but it stops right at the collar it doesn't go right at the right at the shoulder seam it doesn't go around the back um like a yoke kind of thing so lapels yes um lapels if i was going to get a vest and it was just the vest i was going to wear it by itself i wasn't going to wear it with the jacket i tend to like the lapels just to you know spruce it up a little bit um just to give it some visual interest it looks a little bit more period-esque um looks yeah, I yeah. don't know. I just I, I dig just on it. It's a little definition. Yeah. You know, a little something something. Yeah. A um, little something something. Yes. Yeah, technical kilting term Who's there. S U M T I N. In fact, that's in my book that's coming out soon. The uh, No, it's just a fashion thing. I uh, wouldn't worry about it. I think uh, there are times when having the lapels on the waistcoat might visually compete with the lapels on the jacket. So you'll find, like, for instance, like, you know, your standard Argyle vest does not have lapels on it. And I think that's because whoever was designing the old, you know, what's now standard and very simple Argyle jacket and vest combo at the time, thought, yeah, I mean, we don't want to detract from the look of the lapels on the jacket. We want to keep this simple. Fine. So it's uh, it's personal preference, like we often say, um, but it's basically just a fashion design. There's no significance to it, really. And I will point this to, this question more to Eric. Um, do you think it's more of a holdover from like the from like the 18th century, 17th century, that far back. Look at look at the huh. waistcoats in the American Revolution. Look at the uh, or in the, during the Revolution. Yeah. Look at the look at the vests and and waistcoats. In you could argue during that the, during the 1860s, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah. I think there's I think there's definitely similarities, and I think what happens in the 20th century and now 21st century is that designers will, ever since the Prince Charlie coatie was invented back when it was in the 20s they've looked at different elements of style from the past 300 years and said i like how that looks they'll look good with that let's put them together let's cut it this way sketch it up ta-da new look so yeah i think they're drawing inspiration from all those things but you know whether there's a collar or not on a waistcoat has gone in and out like you said i mean like shawl collars were huge in the 1870s that was a very common thing and then they went away Men's fashion doesn't change as much as women's fashion do- does. When it does change, it's the little details that do. And it's like, you know, this this year we're going to do away with the lapels. So it's, yeah, I think it's Highland fashion draws from all over history. Definitely with a, a bias towards military fashion. Um, but it's just fashion. And it also takes much longer. How, yeah. Like, as, as far as, you know, menswear reg- in general regular menswear fashion. Menswear fashion in general, just you know, you know, non Highland wear, yeah. evolves 
faster. If you look at pictures, one from the 70s, one from the 80s, one from the 90s, one from the 60s, you can you can see, you know, as soon as you see the picture, you're going to be like, oh, I know what time period that's from. Highland Ware, it's a little, it, it takes much longer to evolve. You could look at something from the yeah. 1920s and something from the 1950s in hot, traditional Highland Ware, and they would look very, very similar. I will also say this, that the fashions are kind of cyclical. Things that, yep. like you were alluding to with the shawl collar, or, th you know, things that were in fashion, you know, 100 plus years ago may come back into fashion at some point. Or, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's cyclical. Yeah. So There's a nostalgia effect, but the fact that it doesn't change very much is also part and parcel of the fact that it is considered a traditional national dress. So there's always going to be an element who don't want it to change. They don't want it to become trendy. They want it to always be that cornerstone that you can count on looking at and being able to say, yep, that is Scottish national dress right there. So you'll always have that benchmark, and then fashion changes will come and go over time, but the baseline tends to remain the same. Yeah. You know. There are some trends right now which I won't be sorry to see go, to be honest. You know, some of the funkier stuff that's come out of the higher industry. And they might gracho marks. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. It's some of the stuff, uh, yeah, some of the stuff that's that's come out or, or like the black, solid black kilts. Solid mm -hmm. black jackets, you know, black shirt, black sporn, black, you know, uh, metal, that kind of stuff. Um, Black that metal. That's that came in and kind of went out in a realistically in a seven eight year period yeah. in the late two thousands early two thousand tens, but it's not. Uh, yeah, so that's that's an example of something coming in and going out and not sticking for fashion. Right. Now something that I personally am not a big fan of, but it's stuck around much longer than that, like semi dress sporins. They've been around right. for much longer. A, a traditionalist may not like a semi-dress born because it's neither fish nor fowl. It's not as dressy as a, as a dress born or as as plain as a day born. It kind of is a. It falls in the middle in a gap. You could also say it bridges the two. Um, but that one's been around for a while, so it will probably continue to exist. Um, I think fly plates. There's yeah. other things in this that are my kind of, my my example of something that's super trendy right now. And we're getting off on a huge tangent here. We'll stop soon, well, I promise. Um, the, I, I don't know if they're popular anymore, but for a while, I, I have these images of, uh, like, hipster wedding outfits, kilt outfits, where they've got tartan incorporated into the jacket. Now, I'm not talking about the Welsh stuff, but there's this other this, this other one. Similar. It's, just, yeah. it's a weird, like, tweed and tartan patchwork kind of effect. And it just looks odd. It's just like, it just screams, I'm trying too hard. I'm trying to be cool. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that was a trend. Because a trend, in, you know, implies that more than two random dudes did it. Um, so there may be a few people who have done it, but a trend is more like a lot of people done it. I think it's a trend if the design that the designer is trying to push catches on. Yeah, depend, then, it depends yeah, yeah. on definition of catching right. on. Right. It's really so there's some experiments out there also. Yes. That I, don't, yes. that I don't care for. Yes. Experiment is a better term in my mind. But way. as far as whether you have lapels or not on your waistcoat, nobody's going to care. I have I have yeah. both. I have waistcoats with lapels. I have some without without lapels. Um, if I'm wearing a if I if I'm getting a tweed and I figure I'm never gonna get a jacket in this one, but I just I like it and I want to get a vest. I will also get a matching tweed back to the vest because that looks a little bit better than the satin back. And I'll generally get the lapels on it just for fun. But I have 
plenty of tweed vests without lapels too. Right. Cool. So whatever you're in the mood for that day. Mm-hmm. Who was that one? You or Mac? That was Mac. All right, Mr. Eric. Okay. And Mac, since we started a bit late, we'll go till like 10 after or so. All right. Dylan Feltz asked us, how do you get your bride-to-be to agree to a kilted wedding? I've been struggling with this for quite some time. He says for a while, but I say quite some time. I don't know if he's since now married and the wedding is no longer an issue, or if the wedding has been called off because he wouldn't budge on the kilt thing. But yeah, how do I... you get your bride-to-be to agree to kilts in the wedding if she's not on board yet? The... Uh, uh... I used to have a, a phrase that you know a marriage should be 50-50. Um, and one of our, uh, one of I believe it was one of our moderators, a friend of ours, um, said, no, a marriage isn't 50-50. A marriage is 100-100. You should do everything in your power. Uh, I, thought, I found that very sweet and very you know honest way to go about looking at a marriage. Sure. You do everything you can to make the, the, the life better of your partner, and then they should do the same for you. Um, so in, in some ways, I'm... I'm torn on this answer. I'm always torn on it when a guy says, I want to wear a kilt for my wedding, but my wife won't allow me. Do you compromise? Do you just say, fine, hun, I won't wear it? Or do you dig your heels in and say, no, this isn't just your day. It's mine as well. I'm not going to be walked on. I'm going to do what I want to do too, not just what you want us to do. It's a delicate one. It depends on the situation. And I, like I would say, it w- it'll start with very, very clear, concise open, honest communication. Um, if they don't know why you want to wear it, if they don't understand what it means to you, if um, are they're going to be more concerned about it, so make sure that hurdle is, is, is crossed. Um, and you want to know from them, what is their objection? Is their objection that they don't like it, or is it that my dad thinks that kilts are weird, so my dad is not going to like it? if you wear your kilt to the wedding. Um, Find out where that objection is and then deal with that head on, but you don't know what you're fighting until you know what you're fighting. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Speaking from the showroom floor, and I know you know this too, but I've, I've, I've had occasions where we've had a couple come in and the bride to be adamantly had a vision for the wedding. And they tend to be very fashion conscious people. Is my is my takeaway is my takeaway a very subjective opinion of mine? But um, that you know they're very concerned with making sure that everything matches a trendy vision they have. Usually a, a higher class kind of a vision they have based on like wedding magazines and whatnot. And they have this aesthetic for this this for the occasion in mind, and they don't want deviation. And when it's been a happy ending, what's happened is there's been a compromise. For instance, like we did a, we did one a while back where she did agree to have him in his kilt under duress. She really was not happy about it. And the compromise was that the groomsmen were all going to wear regular suits but have a tartan tie, have tartan neckties. So they would be picture perfect and, and matchy-matchy uh, for the aesthetic she was looking for. Now, it was an even happier ending because once once they came back a few months later to pick up the kilt and she actually saw him in it, she was like, okay, you were right. That looks fantastic. I love it. I was wrong. There are other occasions where they have been on the fence, but they've been very worried about their family. 
Um, and that's dicey for the bride because, I mean, a lot, it, this is a big deal, and it's a big deal for her parents also. And there have definitely been occasions where we've had, you know, she's like, I know you want to do it, honey, but I don't know what my dad's going to say. He doesn't think that a man should wear a skirt. You know, if they're coming from that kind of background, a non-Celtic background or a very conservative background or something like that, that's the hardest one. I think that that can yeah, be the hardest one, yeah. and then and then they have to team up. The bride and the groom both have to basically have you that get meeting. on the same page. Like you're saying, yep. they got to have that meeting in the minds, and they got to say, okay, how do we do? We want this to be nice for them, or do we want this to be perfect for us? I would. I would. We have, then we have a friend Ron, who had who had people refuse to come to the wedding because he was going to be in a kilt, and the groomsmen were all going to be kilted, and 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 a part of the family just said, we're not coming. You you can't save narrow-minded people from themselves sometimes. Um, what I will back to the other point about the, the the bride and if if it's the bride's parents or you know yeah the bride's parents who are concerned about it. You know traditionally, not that this is really done all that much anymore, but traditionally looking at it, if the bride's parents are paying for the wedding, then uh, you're kind of a little stuck with taking their input because ultimately they're the ones footing the bill. Or you refuse their money. Correct. Yeah. The only other option is if you want to stand on your own two feet and you want to make your own decisions, you can't be beholden to someone else's purse strings. Um, so my other, that's kind of where I'm going with it is if my, if I am paying for the wedding myself, then, or, you know, with my, with my bride, um, then I would say, well, this is our wedding we're paying for it. I understand your parents don't like it, but you're marrying me, and this is our day together, and I am going to be in your family, and they have to accept me, not ju and I have to accept them simultaneously. Like, we, we all need to get on the same page here. Yeah. And if they have that big of an issue with it, maybe we should all talk about it then, because it really is something that I want to do. You wouldn't want me telling you what style wedding dress to wear, would you? Do you want me to have all that much input with what the bridesmaids are going to wear? Probably not, because you have your vision of how you want it to be. All I want is this thing. Um, yeah. So that's generally how I go at it, but that's me. Yeah. Now, to be fair, my wife and I were in total agreement on everything we wanted for both yeah. sides. Yeah. But we're both history nerds, so we're <laughs> we are already on the page, same page from the get-go. Yeah. Um, when when I when I got married, and you know, even when we you know designed our house, it was I had certain things that were very very important to me, and luckily as well, Kelly and I were on the same page with ninety nine percent of stuff. Um, or if we weren't, I would kind of judge, okay, how much does this decision mean to me versus what does it look like it means to her? And if she really really wants a certain centerpiece on the table, and I'm like, they're flowers, long as they ain't dead, I'm fine. Um, yeah. then it's not a battle I want to, you know, dig my heels in. Yeah, really, fight. like, what hill do you want to die on is kind of, I mean, it's, it, in the final analysis, this is about joining two people together, and it's about the people. So it's an interesting test, potentially. Yeah, you know, what your like, married life is going to be like. It's, it's <laughs> like, here's your marriage count, here's your pre-marriage pre uh, counseling session, you know, it's all about the kilt. Yeah. Um, we but, can give you debate tactics and negotiation right. tactics, but <laughs> you're you're the one living with this person for the rest of your, in theory, for the rest of your life. Right, right. So make sure that, you know, you're on the same page and you have that communication. Yeah. Yeah. Compromise is not a dirty word, but but full communication is absolutely necessary. If you so. have any relationship questions, send them to us. Eric and I will destroy any chance you have of happy marriage. <laughs>
fine. Because freedom! No, that's, yeah. No. <laughs> no. Don't listen to us. Um, but good luck with the wedding. Yes, indeed. Um, that was you? That was me. Mr. Mac. What other relationships can we destroy today? <laughs> yeah, what other concepts can we do? Yes. Well, we have Steven. He just got elected to the board of directors for the Clan Wallace Society. Uh, he is wanting... Condolences? What's that? I say condolences. <laughs> um, he's very very much wanting to modernize the culture and outreach of the clan. Huh. Do, uh, is there any tips that we would could pass along for maybe... I think maybe... that's going to depend on the starting point. I mean, what needs to be modernized, you know? The... I, I would say the present year excluded, um, mm. uh, having more gatherings, even local gatherings, or a picnic, even to do it on the cheap. I know clan societies don't have a ton of money. So let's do this on the cheap. Okay. Um, once a year, I'm, I'm the head of Clan Rager in Pennsylvania, southeastern Pennsylvania. So once a year... I'm going to get together with my other Rager brethren. My last name is Rager. Um, and pick a park near me or central to an area that has either free, you know, usage of the park or whatever. And just have a, a picnic every summer. Have somebody who can maybe tell stories or, you know, go into things about like the history of the clan or worst case scenario, read from the clan encyclopedia. And then bring families, bring kids, bring everything. Make this a fun family-friendly atmosphere. Mm -hmm. If it's your clan is big enough, like Wallace or McDonald or something that's a bigger clan, great. Do it for just that. If it's, if you're a smaller, like Baird or a smaller clan, Barclay, um, then maybe you get a few clan societies together and just a few people that are in other clan societies like that, that you're one, friendly like that with. one group. Yeah, like the, the United Scottish Clans of Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. So form an alliance. A, yeah, yeah, form an alliance, like Clan Chatton. <laughs> form your old alliance and meet in a park every summer. Just one day, one Saturday, out of the year, in summer, in the park. A chance to not host your own festival, but just have kids have fun. Do a little bit of fun stuff with your clan. Everybody wear their clan kilts. All the women wear their sashes. You know, little kids running around with foam swords, reenacting Culloden, whatever. Um, make it fun. Make it family-friendly. Play bagpipe music if the park allows it. Um, just make it a thing. And express and steep yourselves in the culture. And make sure the kids get involved. If the kids don't care, don't see the parents doing it, don't see the parents celebrating it, they're never going to care. Well, they shouldn't say they're never. The, the likelihood of them caring about it will be less than if you start them out with it young. So you're, this is a 20, 30 year play, not a two year play, hmm. but do stuff like that to just kind of get together with like-minded people and prop each other up. Yeah. Now I don't know. I'm not sure if the issue is, is when you say modernizing, I don't know if it's like uh, we're dealing with trying to get the group to come into the 21st century and take advantage of digital stuff. Um, if it's a communication issue, um, that's a whole other topic, really. Um, communication is incredibly important, and if you don't already have somebody who's tech-savvy, I would recommend finding somebody who's tech-savvy to try and coordinate... Uh, website. Website, stuff. Facebook group, that kind of thing. Um, doing a little media once in a while. I mean, maybe people can't get together in person like 
you know, this year is, is hard. But that doesn't mean you can't put together some kind of a slideshow of Zoom members meeting. of the group. Yeah, a Zoom meeting or, or have somebody put together a little slideshow like we did back in the spring. We had all the people showing off their tartan for the virtual tartan parade. You can do a virtual clan gathering um, with some nice music underneath, stuff like that. I think every group is going to go through a challenge of finding fresh blood. And the issue you'll have with any organization is that you're going to go through peaks and valleys of uh, activity and energy and uh, capability. So the trick is to make sure that you have enough people to delegate to that your worker bees do not burn out. Um, and you need to find a way to get out into the community and find uh, new members. And in some ways, it doesn't have to be clan members. It could be that your chapter of clan, you said Wallace? Wallace. Clan Wallace becomes known as the go-to people if you want a talk on Scottish history. Or if you want somebody to come and represent Scotland at the school international night. Um, you can be a service to the community at large and get publicity as a result. And that helps boost your membership. Again, it's a bit more of a longer play. But it could be that there's, there's Wallace's around here. I just, this guy just did this talk. It was on. You know, you know, I heard it announced on the radio. You know, you know, they did this thing at the museum or at the historical society. You could be talking to non-Scots, but representing Scotland and also <clears throat> representing Clan Wallace in the process, and you can gain allies that way. So that that would be my advice: is to look in terms, think in terms of community outreach, as well as gathering the the actual members together. I'll I'll take it three other different directions because you you've, you've inspired me with the technology bit. Mm -hmm. um, one, everybody has a cell phone for the most part. Um, if you have somebody who can do a bit of history on Clan Wallace or stories about Wallace or about, you know, whatever in or the anything. history, do a Facebook Live. Just straight, yeah. you know, straight to camera or put it on YouTube. So that, and, you know, title it, you know, History of Clan Wallace and it has some guy talking and also plug your clan society. Start a Facebook group just for Clan, or for Clan Wallace, for people with Wallace or any sept of that. Um, the other way to outreach as well i don't know how well the clan societies do it but what i would say is start with your the easy low branches on the tree if you have 50 members of clan wallace who aren't directly related tell them hey john you have a brother why don't you see if he wants to come to the next wallace clan gathering why don't you see if he's interested in this stuff yeah. and have them try to pull their family members in if, you know, people have, like, what, 2.3 is the average siblings in America? Yeah. If everyone has one sibling that they bring into it, you've literally just doubled the size of your organization. Um, but outreach to family members, outreach to parents of family members or parents bringing their kids in, that's another way to do it. I mean, when I say parents bringing their kids in, I mean, like, parents in their 50s bringing parents or bringing kids in their 20s, 30s into the clan society, even if they're just starting to awaken to the, the clan society thing or their heritage thing in their late 20s, early 30s. Um, so there's different ways to do it. And again, putting it on wax, you know, recording it, you know, videotaping it, putting it that into the Facebook group or that onto YouTube is yeah. another way to boost the membership and get people 5, 10, 15 years later who run across an old video and say, hey, I didn't know there was a clan Wallace, and then they Google the Facebook group, and boom, there it is. Yeah. Whoop, there it is. Um, little known, you know, sept of clan Wallace. The, uh, <laughs> the, but you can also then, if you did a Facebook group, you, now I'm going into marketing mode. 
If you do this the is Facebook marketing. Group, this is this is a marketing thing. Yeah, anyway. you could also have subgroups of like Clan Wallace of the Northeast U.S. or Clan Wallace of New York, Clan Wallace of Southeastern PA, whatever, and you have those people be members of the main group as well as their little group, and then you make sure that people are aware, like, hey, here's all the subgroups of Wallace to connect locally with people to you, mm-hmm. as well as the the larger Facebook group. And, you know, as long as you have the no politics rule and don't be a jerk rule, you should be fine. No Wallaces are jerks. No, none, none. They're none honorable people. Um, but it's, you know, moderating the group takes a little bit of work, and, you know, herding cats, so to speak, will take a little bit of work. Finding the people who are your rock stars to be volunteers, like every clan society goes through, um, is a bit of work to find those people. But once you find the one who wants to push, 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 and go, 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 let them help run it. And if you can find three or four of those, you're off and running. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, you'll want to turn over worker bees on a regular basis if you can just to avoid burnout, like I said. But I'm going to two points... We're shaggy dogging, but this is I really like this topic. Yeah. Um, one of the cool things I found out when I was talking to uh, Tristan Hector's mom was that uh, I'm not sure if his idea to become a marine biologist became came about before their trip to Scotland or after. But one of the things he discovered, and, and I now know, thanks to Tiffany and, and Tristan, is that Clan MacDonald actually heads up a marine life uh, support effort. They're trying to help the oceans around Scotland, I think it is, uh, and and help endangered sea life. And they're, this is an initiative they're taking as a clan. So having a cause that you can support as a group is a great way to, A, do something good in general, and B, it's a glue to bring your, your people together. Your clan is your team, and if they all have a united cause, a united enemy, you know, just like any old clan warfare, you know, <laughs> then... Um, that can be a really great thing. You know, give them give them a purpose. Um, another thing that can work internally is competition. Um, I'm in the SCA, and one of the reasons the SCA as a group has thrived for decades is that we are structured on competition. You can become great at martial arts. You can become great at art. You can become great at organization. And there are competitions that people can get involved in, and they get the cookie. So it's like, okay, who can who can create the coolest Clan Wallace banner? Who can create the coolest Clan Wallace photo montage? Who can create the coolest Clan Wallace wood carving? There's all kinds of stuff you could have people do um, because they want to show their pride and also show their own personal skills and worth and all that. You know, you can get people interested in a in a, comp, in a competitive thing, a friendly competitive thing. Yes, and so. I I'll continue the shaggy dog and say, if you do, <laughs> if you do the. Uh, uh, the gathering at a park kind of thing. You can have your own Clan Wallace games. It doesn't have sure. to be Highland games where you're, you know, sheaf tossing and caber tossing, but you can do like relay races or swing yep. races or, you know, monkey bars or whatever. Just something for fun for the kids. Adults look like idiots, but it's fun for them right. too to laugh at it's each class- other. It's classic. And then you, you make a Clan Wallace, you know, badge that you, you know, gold, silver, bronze. You know, pull the thing from the office. Just use, you know, like what is it, the the yogurt lids that they, when they did the Office Olympics as the gold medal <laughs> and you know whatever. Just make it fun. Make it something that people look forward to, even right. if it's just a bit of funny shtick. Mm-hmm. Um, just a to get bragging rights to the winner, and b so that the, everyone there has fun. I yep. could see, yeah, that's, I can dig it. And that's that's you got to keep it fun. Yes. Bottom line, it has to be fun. It can't feel like a chore. Yep. So, 
Yeah, if it, if it feels like a chore, if it doesn't feel fun, if it's forced, and like, no, we have to do this Clan Wallace thing for the good of the clan is not the right answer. It's, it is the right answer, but it's not going to work. Right. It's because it's fun, and it happens to also be for the good of the clan. You have to make it a win-win all right. around. Then people will want to do it and will want to carry it forward. It's not a job. Yeah. It's something they want to do. It's fun, and it's a chance to show off. You know, show off to your fellow clan members and also show off to the world. Show off your plumage. How, how freaking awesome you are. Yeah. So. Indeed. Libertate. Good luck. Liberty. And, th and thank you for, for doing it. Good luck. I was given the clan false motto. Is that it? Liberty. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Liberty. Yeah. Right on. Levitate? Levitate, <laughs> yes. Levitate. Float in midair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was, was that? that was that was you. It's, it's a good show, man. I think I'm, it was I'm feeling really psyched for for things. Now. I mean, especially after last month, we were all feeling like, eh. but but yep. uh, a lot of we good. got the 2020 blues. Yeah, I'm feeling better. <laughs> I'm feeling better today. Um, here's a fun one, which I'm not sure we can comment on directly. But Colin Gavin asked us, "How difficult is it to play golf in a kilt? Do you leave the sworn at home, or to avoid it affecting the swing?" Um, the short answer is. Yeah, you take the sporn off. He said yeah. hockey, right? Hockey? He said hockey, right? Yeah, I said exactly. yes. <laughs> Golf hockey. Golf is Scottish for hockey. Uh. Don't transcribe that word, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> don't Google that. Uh, no. Um, yeah, if you're if you're golfing in a kilt, a lot of guys will either turn the sporn to the side if you want to wear it around on the course, or just leave it off. Um, yeah, it's going to get in the way. Yeah. Practicality. It's, it's, yeah, it's basically that simple. Um, definitely recommend a lighter weight kilt, um, either a five-yard wool or a light material like polyviscose, um, something you don't have to worry about and something that's nice and cool and comfortable when you're out on, on the links. On the greens. On the greens, yes. yes. Um, most guys will basically either hook the sporn over some of the clubs in the, in the bag you know, or hand it off to somebody or they just won't wear it at all. Um, we very often have people who want to get matching tartans, uh, or, or something similar like that because a it's golf a golf team or because, yeah, because it's a yeah. golf outing. Golf yeah. outings are very popular. Interestingly enough, kilts are not always encouraged at certain golfing establishments. Like for instance, St. Andrews will not allow you to golf in a kilt. How is considered they? is considered outside of their dress code. So if you're planning on a vacation to Scotland and you want to golf in your kilt, you might want to call ahead to make sure there aren't going to be any issues yep. you know, before you show up at the at the club and they say, oh, no, you can't come in here like that. And then you um, tell them where to stick their putter. <laughs> Long end first. Right. But basically, um, keep it cash, you know, and, and definitely... Do you think people worry about kiltos and flashes when they're golfing? Um, depends on the on the weather. If, it, if they're golfing in the summer and it's hot, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would definitely stay, still wear golf shoes. Right, um, right. So I wouldn't worry about trying to wear ghillie brogues with your golf. No, just wear you know wear your golf cleats. Wear right. if you're if you have a nice, comfortable pair of uh, uh, wool kilt hose that you know aren't too itchy and that kind of stuff in the midsummer heat, then that's fine. Yeah. Do you think you have to wear a tam? Do you have to have a golf hat? If it were me, I'd have some kind of hat because me traipsing around yeah. in the open sun linen all flat day. Cap. Yeah, linen flat cap. I'd probably do. But you know, I you get your when you're bald, you get your head burned bad once, mm -hmm. and then you remember suntan lotion or a hat for the rest of your life. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if it were me, I'd wear something on my head, either a flat cap if I wanted to look, you know, Celticish, um, or a baseball cap or something like that. Yeah. But now, if, if you're serious, 
you will do the blue woad paint, and you'll have a, a, a sheath on your back for your for your for your putter for your, for your, for your nine iron. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> Least climactic, <laughs> most anticlimactic. We should do a video. That'd be hysterical. I came for the golf outing. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, okay. Oh heavens. So there you go. Indeed. Simple. Mr. Mac. Alrighty, we have Gopher asking. He, uh, I live in the desert where it's hot most of the year. What do you rec- recommend when buying a kilt and accessories when one lives in the complete opposite environment from Scotland? You're kilting in the warm. You're kilting in the hot. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you say you lived? The uh, desert. Desert. Okay. So don't, be, don't know which one. Could be okay. Arizona. Could be Southern Sahara. Could be SoCal. No could be could be yeah. you know parts of could be New Mexico. Yes. Yeah. The uh, <clears throat> um, if you're wearing a kilt kilt in the summer in the heat in the desert, um, natural fabric breathes reasonably well. So even if it's wool, it's still going to breathe reasonably well. So I'd say a maybe a five yard thirteen ounce kilt or. A, a polyviscose kilt because it's a little bit lighter weight, machine washable. If you're going to be sweating more, you know, you can wash it. Um, the How hot you are is going to be more, in my case at least, is going to be more determined by what I'm wearing outside of the kilt. Meaning, the shirt, what kind of shirt I have on, is it a performance golf polo, is it a cotton t-shirt, is it a long sleeve flannel sweatshirt? Um, or it's a long sleeve flannel shirt or a sweatshirt. Um, do you have a hat on? Is it a light colored hat or is it black? Do you have kilt hose on or is it cotton crew socks? So the the level of heat index um, dictates what I'm going to be wearing. The level of how formal or casual the event is or how dressy the event is will dictate what I'm wearing. But yeah, as far as the kilt itself, yeah. either a polyviscose kilt or a five yard wool. Yeah. Um, if you're talking for doing the serial kilter thing, hashtag serial kilter, um, I would go with the PV first. Um, speaking as a guy who has family in Arizona and Southern California, um, the wool, save it for a special occasions when you're going to be indoors or going in and out of indoors. So you have the air conditioning because yeah, you got lots of ventilation and we disagree a little bit on this sometimes, but basically I feel like the thickness around my torso, especially if I'm opting to wear a belt that will start to feel warm. Now, um, you got the dry air, so you're not going to have perspiration issues as much. Um, You won't have, uh, at least I don't have chafing or anything as much when I'm out in the desert as I do here with the humidity. Um, So you will definitely enjoy having a kilt, but I would definitely start with the lighter weight kilt and uh, follow desert practices otherwise. You know, light colors, light colored hat. Um, It's one of the few occasions where I'll say, yeah, if you're going to wear a cowboy hat with a kilt, I guess it's okay. Um, Because sun's a bitch. But... Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, I didn't say cowboy boots, though. I'm talking yeah. practical. So, but that's basically it. You know, it's just like it's just like wearing uh, hiking shorts in a sense. Basically, um, wear wear your clothes for context, like you would any other day. Um, yeah. Form follows function. Pretty much. But yeah. I would start with it. if you've never done a kilt before, I would definitely start with something like the PV, um, just because it's guaranteed gonna be lighter and easier. Yeah, and remember the kilt has a lot of air conditioning. It's not like pants. That are, you know, two tubes that trap warm air and it don't breathe real well. A kilt, you know, as you walk, kind of fans your nether regions, so to speak. Um, it's air is constantly moving and flowing. So it's 
it's cooler in a lot of ways than a pair of pants would be anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How's the old hem go? Nothing could be sweeter than the breeze upon your... Knees? Yes, that was the rhyme I was looking for. Thigh? Yes, right. indeed. Yep. <laughs> I will say this, you might want to consider a lighter tartan. If you, unless you're going with a family tartan, I, I wouldn't wear a black watch, necessarily. You know, go yeah. with a, a lighter color tartan. But I don't yeah. know how heat sensitive he is either. Yeah, and that's I don't think that's going to be a a, a huge factor. Yeah, if he's like I've worn blackout traipsing across <laughs> the desert, and I'm like, you know, oh, the, the the town's just over the next dune, and you know, you're crawling up the side with mirages. You know, yeah, fine. I have a, dunes in Arizona, dude. He said desert. He didn't say Arizona. There are different kinds of desert. I understand, but he said desert. He didn't say Arizona. All right. The, I'm thinking okay. Sahara still. Okay. So, okay. The, uh, yeah, it's in that instance, if it's prolonged periods out of doors, like all day, you know, no water, then, and, you know, direct sunlight, no clouds, yes, a darker color kilt would be definitely be warmer. Yeah. If you're, I don't know to what degree, I, I still think that the shirt and the hat and the, Footwear would have more of an effect, yeah. and and or wool versus synthetic would have more of an effect than the color of the kilt. But point taken, you're not wrong. It, you know, darker colors absorb more light. Yep. Indeed, Mr. Mac. All right. So, do one more from you, and if we have enough time, one more from Eric. Uh, we have Jake asking. Uh, he's looking at getting a kilt for a formal holiday party since they are soon upon us mm -hmm. um, for his wife's work. Would it be better to piece piece together or assemble or assemble the purchase all in one shot? Depends on who you're buying from. It depends on your budget. Yeah. If you you know a lot of companies, including us, um, have kilt packages where you can you know lump everything together, buy it all at one spot, um, and then you get you know a percentage off, or you can piecemeal things. And go that way. Um, if it's uh, if budget's a concern, that's one way to do it. If time is an option, then you can spread it out over time. Um, so yeah, yeah. I I'm since you're thinking about it well ahead of time, good on you. Um, I would be tempted to do the whole thing together if you can if you can get a discount from where you're buying it from. If you fall in love with a sporn from a particular manufacturer and a jacket from another particular manufacturer and a kilt from us because who else would you buy a kilt from then uh, um, then you may not want to do that um, if you don't want to do the whole package deal find out what the minimum level of formality is for the party if we're talking like a very formal uh, holiday party then you're probably going on Argyle you're going to get to use it for years so that's cool I've been to holiday parties for some of my wife's companies um, she owns a couple um, where their idea of formal was a vest. And there was like a few guys in a jacket, but not that many. So if it's like an IT company, formal may not actually be formal. If it's if it's a banking firm... You wear your best jeans with less reps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wear the khakis this time. Um, if it's a banking firm, then you absolutely want the Argyle. But I would say the Argyle is going to be your go-to. Like we often say for any occasion... Don't worry about the PC. You won't get as much use out of it. Argyle, Argyle, you'll get a lot of use out of it. You can use the jacket by itself. You can use the vest by itself. So it may feel like a bit of a bite now, but it's a long-term investment. So. I'd, I'd even go tweed as a more versatile thing. Not for I, evening, technically. Technically, you shouldn't if wear it's, tweed If for it's evening. formal, sure. Okay. Yeah. If it's after six, you should not be wearing tweed. Oh, how dare you. I'm sorry. 
Um, I'm just saying. I know. Um, sorry, my brain was elsewhere when we, th we talked about the formal part. How dare so, you? I should... Yep. <laughs> There's our Easter egg for the show. Indeed. All right, so I get to do one more then? Sure. Okay. I was trying to think about the question of the day, and my brain got... I can't oh, yeah, do two yeah, things you got to do that. You got to do that. I, know. I forgot. I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. What would the question of the day be? Um... <clears throat> uh, this is a techie one we'll end on. Uh, Louis Collingwood asks us, or Louis, um, I knew you guys have mentioned rolling your kilts when traveling. I'm going on a trip, and I plan on taking several kilts with me. Uh, how exactly is the best way to roll the kilt up without messing up the pleats? This warrants a separate video. <clears throat> like, yeah. a like, like a demo video, but... Um, is there the, an art to rolling? Eh, to a degree. Uh, it's, not, it's not too difficult. Don't overthink it. Um, the way I would roll a kilt is I would start with the kilt laid flat. Stretched all the way out, pleats facing down. The liner side facing up. I take the strap on the, the single strap side of the under apron, and I kind of like dog ear it so that the strap faces straight down. Then I start with the under edge of the kilt, and I roll a tight roll, you know, basically towards the pleats along the under apron. When I get to the pleats, I start, I keep rolling, and then I'm straightening out the kilt as I'm going. I'm straightening out the pleats as I'm going, and you're just kind of using like wide hands as, as, as big, grabbing as much as you can at the same time, like, just rolling it forward and continue straightening out the pleats. When you get to the front apron, you can kind of go fast again, and that will create a nice cylinder, if you will, um, of your kilt. Two things you can do after that, either buy a kilt roll, which is a long, skinny thing. Kind of reminds you of like a, uh, a tube that a billiard cue would come in. Um, alternatively, if your wife has a pair of pantyhose that have a hole in them, don't cut up her good pantyhose. Um, you can just basically cut the leg or cut the foot off and the top off and push the kilt inside the pair of pantyhose and that kind of keeps it compact and doesn't let it unroll in the suitcase. And that way you can just put it in the suitcase when you're there, slide it out, boom, done, no wrinkles. Yeah. Done. Done. What is the maximum number of kilts you've ever taken on a trip? Three. Three? I usually okay. three is a, if I'm gonna wear a kilt, if I'm going away for, you know, seven days, ten days, something like that, um, I usually take three because that way it's okay. I'm not wearing the same thing every day. Things have a chance to you know gas off, air out, that kind of thing, um, at night, um, and for a full day effectively. Um, yeah, but I don't usually find I need more than three. Okay. I'll, I will also say this as well: when I travel with kilts. I don't roll them. I will basically fold it in thirds like I'm going to be wearing it and then fold it in half again with the pleats on the inside and then chop it in half that way. So, you know, make it a little tiny square effectively of my kilts. Mm -hmm. It fits better in a suitcase. Um, so, yeah, that's typically how I travel with them. When I get to the destination, I'll take them out and I'll try to hang them up and let the, the wrinkles kind of fall out, especially in wool kilts, it'll fall out easier. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't personally feel the need to roll them. I'll fold them like that, and when I get there, I'll hang them up, or I'll lay them you know, flat on the back of a sofa or the back of a chair to kind of let the, the pleats relax a bit. And I find that's pretty much good enough. Cool. Indeed. 
Any any other travel tips? <clears throat> Not you? really. Um, I actually I've done a different technique based on I think it depends on your luggage to some extent and whether you're driving or flying. The length of the luggage. Yeah, yeah. Le- the length of the luggage because I have this nice long uh, duffel bag that I've used. So I will basically fold the kilt like I'm wearing it, like you do, like you were saying, and then I'll fold it again in half. lengthwise. Yep. I will not fold it up into a cube or anything. I'll keep it as a long, skinny rectangle and lay that in the center of the bag um, and stack the kilts in the center and then put my other stuff around it. You know, like okay. the ro- rolled up. I roll everything when I travel. So the rolled shirts and everything. Yeah. You know, put in kind of Tetris in around it. But that's that's how I like to do it. But um, yeah, wool is definitely your friend uh, for travel. Because it, it really it deals with the temporary wrinkling you get in the luggage very well. So. Agreed. Yep. You just have to make sure your spouse is okay with kilts lying about in the hotel room. There's nowhere to sit down because you again got the sweaty kilt from you've been being out at the festival all day. And I was like, I just got to air this out for a while. Yeah. Okay, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. That'll be okay. Very good. All right, boys and girls. Question of the day. Ooh, ooh. <clears throat> Celtic, if you can. If not. Doesn't matter. Polish, Irish, or Polish, Japanese, whatever. What is your favorite ethnic food? Assuming you're an American or Canadian or something like that, what's your favorite food from another culture outside of your country? I am curious about that. Like, in the okay. UK, there's a lot of curry. In the US, there's a lot of Chinese food and stuff like that. A lot of Mexican places here. popping up because everyone loves freaking tacos. Um, but what is your favorite ethnic food? But Mac and I are not allowed to answer. This nope. is just for the nope. audience. Okay. Just for the audience. All right. Okay. Okay. Tell us in the comments, boys and girls. Until next time, Slanjava. Slanjava. Thanks for joining us, guys. Our podcast theme song is Gold and Guns by the Kilmaine Saints. If you have a question for us, you can ask it during our YouTube live stream the first Friday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can also find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.